Welcome to Tax Notes Talk, a podcast from Tax Notes, the leading source of tax news, information, and analysis. Welcome to the podcast. I'm David Stewart, Editor-in-Chief of Tax Notes Today International. This week, State of Crypto. The emergence of cryptocurrency and NFTs has forced policymakers to develop responses to novel questions. We've previously taken a look at how crypto assets are treated at the federal level, which we'll link to in the show notes. So today, we're narrowing the scope to take a look at the state level. How are states handling the ever-changing nature of this new class of assets? Here to talk more about this is Tax Notes State Editor-in-Chief, Audrey Pollitt. Audrey, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Dave. Now, I understand you recently talked with someone about this. Who'd you talk to? The man who needs no introduction, who literally wrote the book on state and local taxation, Wally Hellerstein. All right. Now, what all did you get into? We talked about his Tax Notes State article, State Taxation of Crypto Assets, Key Concepts and Emerging Guidance, which teases the latest chapter of his state taxation treatise. That's right. Those two volumes are about to get a little longer. While the article offers a granular examination of emerging guidance on the state-level income and sales tax treatment of transactions involving virtual currencies and NFTs, it was the enormity of the crypto asset universe and its necessarily interjurisdictional nature that rung out as our conversations refrain. All right, let's go to that interview. Wally, thank you so much for joining me today for a discussion about state taxation of transactions involving crypto assets which, given the rapid evolution of and unique complexities attendant to the space, will likely end with us checking our respective inboxes only to find numerous notifications of new developments that have already changed the conversation. I'm just delighted to be here. And uh, just as a way of introduction, uh, most of my waking hours are spent these days dealing with the problem of taxation of uh, digital assets, crypto assets, not only at the state level, but also at, at the international level. I just wanted to start by saying of course, the first thing I do in the morning is open my screen. And today I was delighted to see, I was reading you a headline, digital product subject to Georgia sales and use tax, effective January 1st, 2024. That was news to me. And then, of course, well, I'm not going to get into the details of the, my critique of that, but it just it shows you what happens every day. But I just also, where I'm coming from, which is that this is not only state, but also national and international, I was wondering what was going on in the country of Georgia. And I noticed that that's probably a better place to be in the state of Georgia because for VAT purposes, the tax code of Georgia treats crypto assets like money and it's something that's not good. So therefore it's not gonna be taxable at least under the sales under their VAT. So anyway, other things that cross my screen, of course on tax notes, which shows you how important it was. For example, this morning, there was a tax notes headline that crossed my screen that I'm sure others will, will appreciate, it says, crypto community clobbers proposed broker reporting regs. In other words, the federal government has recently proposed regulations, and I, I really want to talk about this. But there are 99 pages, you know, 99 pages of proposed regulations dealing with not just tax access, but all kinds of aspects, and it is of enormous importance. It has generated 13,000 comments by people who bill by the hour and are likely to be affected or their clients will be affected by it. So I'm just saying that this is, you know, we're just talking about the tax aspects, but there are regulatory aspects, reporting aspects, and it's just a, you know, we're talking about just one tip of the iceberg. That's where I'm starting from and I'm delighted to be here. 
Oh, I think that uh, referring to it as just the tip of the iceberg reflects how this is the sort of subject that rightfully draws analogies to natural phenomena. There are avalanches of information. Uh, A recent article by one of our reporters, Jonathan Curry, mentioned that the IRS was expecting to receive some 8 billion crypto information returns. It's it's staggering. Right. And again, to use an analogy, tip of the iceberg, this is just the one example of a number of analogous developments happening globally at the U.S. level. And I just let just point to two of them. I, I would point that at the international level, and again, referring to a tax notes headline, quote, OECD crypto asset framework to come into force in 2027. 48 countries have formally signed onto that crypto asset reporting framework, including the United States. Uh, so again, that's more work for all of us. And in addition, I would notice, and this is a, a U.S. domestic point, but again, national and in terms of general income taxation, the FASB, the Financial Accounting Standards Board, plans to publish around mid-December final accounting standards on breaking down details of income taxes and how to record cryptocurrency holdings. So this is just, it's across the board and very important. There'll be more interpretive gymnastics to be applied in 2024 with Georgia subjecting digital products to sales tax starting Jan 1. Crypto is a digital product, but not all digital products are crypto. And that just seems to speak to the internal contradictions and some of the confusing language that seems inextricable from any conversation that we have about crypto assets. The guidance that we have at the the national level would be federal taxes, federal income taxes, which may or may not be relevant to how you treat something for consumption taxes or sales and use taxes or VAT. And so I think that's, it's very important to keep that in mind, especially as we go through the, the guidance that's emerging on a daily, if not hourly basis. But let me just start with, in terms of crypto asset definitions, starting at the international level, and I think most people listening to this, I hope, are familiar with the, the OECD, which is the global organization and focuses on tax. And I spent a certain amount of time working with them. The OECD has a, a definition of a crypto asset. And I suppose I can just, just to, they're all fairly simple. It's, it says it defines a, a crypto asset as a, a, quote, digital representation of value that relies on a cryptographically secured distributed ledger or similar technology to validate and secure transactions. I'll parse that out a bit once I get through the definitions. The U.S. Department of Treasury, okay, here going down from international to national, also says for tax purposes broadly and generically defines it as to all types of representations of value or claim in digital form that rely on the use of a method of distributed ledger technology. And finally, again, talking globally, the European Commission has defined crypto asset as a digital representation of value or rights which may be transferred and stored using distributed ledger technology. The one point I want to make about all that, it's very interesting that many jurisdictions insist that a digital asset that's taxable be one that is on the distributed ledger technology, that's a crypto asset. But that, to me, I think in some ways is misleading because you can have a digital asset that is not on a distributed ledger chain and you may or may not want to tax it. And just to make to drive the point home, in the most recent set of regula- draft regulations by the uh, United States government, by the Fed, they specifically define a digital asset 
a digital asset, which is for, for tax purposes, as one that is in effect a crypto asset. So I think you need to keep that vocabulary, those problems in mind, because you may not think of them that way when you see the legislation or the regulation or the proposals. Support for this podcast is provided by the University of California, Irvine School of Law Graduate Tax Program. This preeminent and innovative program prepares students to practice tax law at the highest level in the U.S. and abroad. Featuring a low student-to-faculty ratio, cutting-edge technology instruction, and dedicated career support, UCI's graduate tax program helps prepare students for a future in tax law. Program graduates are placed in top tax-related industries, practicing law in many major U.S. cities. Applications are open now. For more information and to apply to this highly selective program, visit law.uci.edu slash gradtax. That's law.uci.edu slash gradtax. From a threshold vocabulary standpoint, for anybody who doesn't have a, a thorough background in crypto, you've mentioned distributed ledgers, distributed ledger technology, maybe just a quick primer on what that means and how it's different. Okay, well, a, a distributed ledger technology, those anybody that's sort of Bitcoin may know that the idea is that it is the, the, the right, whatever it may be, let's assume it's a right to, to a Bitcoin, is reflected in a distribution of digital representation, some, something in the digital universe in many different places, it's a distributed ledger. And that, it's very hard to replicate, and that gives you the right to whatever is associated with that distributed ledger. But again, I, I think for purposes of talking to somebody that's never heard of this, a, a digital asset would be something that's just, I have a right to digital. So if I have the right on a, the web to click on a button, which is not distributed, and to, to see a movie, well, that would not be a cryptocurrency or a crypto asset because it's not distributed. Sure. And relatedly, could you talk us through what a token is? as it's been historically and as it is within this context? I think before we got into the, the, the metaverse, we all knew what a token was. It's something that stands for something else, a token of affection. You may give your spouse some flowers or beer, or whatever it is, it's a token of what you, what you think about them. Fast forward to the, to the digital universe. When we talk about tokenization, we're talking about a cryptographically reflected intangible representation of something that gives you, it's the, that's the token that gives you the right to something else. And what that underlying something else is, it could be a lot of different things. When we're talking about tokens and tokenization, that necessarily imputes the OECD's three principal token-related categories of crypto assets. So we've got payment tokens or virtual currencies, which are maybe the most recognizable to most of our listeners who may not be in the tech or tax spaces. So that's Bitcoin, that's ETH. Then second category, security tokens, which are tradable assets held for investment purposes and classified as securities. And then utility tokens, which can be fungible or non-fungible. So some folks have heard of NFTs, they've been receiving increased attention. Just for level setting, talk to us about the difference between a fungible utility token and a non-fungible utility token. A fungible token, I would give you an example, would be a Bitcoin, something that can be used and distributed 
nothing, there's nothing unique about that. A non-fungible token is one that only is, represents one particular thing and that you have, nobody else can, can, can sort of have access to that because that is not, not fungible. It's not, it's not like every other Bitcoin. It is the a unique something, and now we have, we have to talk about what, what that something is, that the token reflects, which could be something tangible or it could be something else. So to that point, what sort of interplay mirroring are you seeing uh, on the global stage as reflected in U.S. Treasury Department guidance? Are you seeing a lot of commonality? Are you seeing key divergences? That's a, that's a great question. And I think the answer is, obviously, the federal guidance, we don't yet, maybe you never will have a national consumption tax. So unlike most of the countries in the world, we don't have a national value-added tax or something that's equivalent to a value-added tax, but that's you know a tax on transactions and ultimately, in principle, on consumption. So therefore, all the federal guidance we have is directed at income taxes, direct taxes, and of course, the related regulations. That's why that 100 pages of regulations that the IRS has, has uh, suggested for the crypto community, as they call it, that's all related to federal tax and related reporting obligations, because there's lots of crime associated with this. We know people going to jail, right, who have not been quite honest about their dealing with the crypto assets. So it's not just taxation, but at the federal level, the only tax issues they're concerned with are direct or um, income taxes. So obviously the states have always and will continue to conform generally to the federal tax treatment. So most of the state tax treatment that you see at the direct tax or income tax level is going to reflect the federal tax treatment. What's interesting and complicated and keeps people who go by the hour busy is to what extent that federal direct tax guidance, income tax guidance, should be incorporated when you're dealing with sales and use taxes. And that's also a global problem because when I go to the OECD, it's for indirect OECD dealing with VAT, but there obviously are other parts of the OECD that are concerned about the income tax. So that's another issue here, is how does, that, how does it fit or not fit? Uh, and if you characterize something as tangible for income tax purposes, maybe it should or shouldn't be taxable for, for sales tax purposes. All, all the state tax people on this podcast will be very familiar with Public Law 86-272. Now, Public Law 86-272 is a statute that says that unless the, the out-of-state business selling tangible personal property exceeds a certain threshold of activity, they cannot be subject to tax. Um, now, most of the guidance we have here says, look, you know, when you're selling a non-fungible token, for example, and the underlying cryptography is a Picasso or an asset, we look through it to see what that underlying thing is, and that's how we tax it. And indeed, that's exactly what happens at the federal level with regard to something that most people probably weren't aware of until the federal government regulations this, collectibles. If your IRA distributes to you a, a, a crypto asset reflecting a Picasso, it will be treated as a collectible, a real thing, and taxable to your IRA. That's, that's a highly technical point. But the states generally, I mean, the states, you say, well, you know, they're going to follow the, the federal guidance. 
I thought this was pretty interesting. And that's a direct tax. You follow the direct tax guidance as to how you characterize it. New Jersey has, has just said that from they will not consider a collectible that's tangible to be anything other than the transfer of the intangible, that is the non-fungible token, whoever it is. And why do they do this? Because they don't want public law 86.272 to be applicable to that. So ironically, just such a good example of how what you do for federal purposes and normally conform, here's New Jersey saying, we won't conform. Why won't they conform? They want the money. So in one of our previous planning discussions, you mentioned how state conformity to federal provisions in certain respects is by analogy. And I'd imagine that being particularly applicable in the indirect tax space. Would you agree with that? Normally, when you start to fill out your state tax return, the first thing you do is you, you know, it's all based on the federal, all the decisions about what is income, what isn't income. And obviously there are differences when you're dealing with the, the, the state income tax return, but they're relatively minor. You don't usually find a deviation from a federal tax principle as to what is income at the state level. But now when you start to talk about whether or not you use federal tax, direct tax guidance for purposes of your indirect tax, the, your sales tax, that's a much more complicated question. And the answer, that's what's good, good, good for that, is sometimes. <laughs> I mean, it's easier to do it, but you don't always want to do it. And again, just because the IRS has decided that for purposes of Section 408 of the Internal Revenue Code, a collectible is to be treated effectively as a tangible personal property that's that's distributed from your, the acquisition of property distributed from your IRA. It doesn't mean that the states are going to follow that if it, it doesn't make sense for the sales and use tax. Support for this podcast is provided by the FRA Private Investment Fund Tax and Accounting Forum. The FRA Private Investment Fund Tax and Accounting Forum takes place December 6th and 7th in Miami. Stay ahead of the ever-changing financial landscape with expert insights on income sourcing, registered versus unregistered funds, and the future of state and local taxation. Ensure confident and compliant filing for your firm's success with the latest best practices to safeguard your funds from costly tax legislation misinterpretations. Join your peers at this one-of-a-kind comprehensive program that attracts tax and accounting firms, fund administrators, attorneys with fund clients, portfolio companies, and funds from around the country. To learn more about this Miami forum, visit fraconferences.com slash PIF. That's fraconferences.com slash PIF. Well, would you recommend that at the subnational U.S. level, states look to international guidance on indirect tax instead of federal? Are there any lessons that you would draw and, and recommend? A very short answer to that question, which is absolutely yes. If you look at what the OECD is now doing, they are looking at indirect tax treatment of these issues and guess what jurisdictions are included in just assessing what the appropriate guidance should be, the U.S. subnational state, because they have an analogous problem. Again, a VAT is not the same thing as a retail sales tax, but there are analogous problems. I always tell people when I go to these international meetings, well, guess what? You know, you should care about what the states are doing. And if California were a country ranked by GDP and you rank countries and states together, 
California would be fifth in the world. So what they do for tax purposes is important economically. And therefore, the OECD has recognized that what the states are doing with regard to how they're doing it, obviously everybody's just struggling with this, with regard to treatment of crypto assets for indirect tax or sales tax purposes is very important. But what the OECD is doing is important to the states, what the states are doing is important to the OECD, and there are often U.S. tax representatives when the business community is involved attending these meetings. So I think that's very important to recognize. So we've hit maybe the worst ofs, mentioning New Jersey, but instead of recapping each state's guidance, our readers will have the benefit of referencing your forthcoming article co-authored with Andrew Appleby. Please tell me about some of the state practice best ofs that you've observed in terms of guidance issued pertaining to either income or sales tax treatment of payment tokens and or NFTs. Well, again, in, in my judgment, I think the best of, at least from the standpoint of a taxpayer, and I think people who give tax advice, is that there be consistency and insofar as it makes sense, conformity to the guidance that's already out there. Now, there are reasons why states might not want to adopt the notion now embodied in, in, in at least some federal guidance that, that uh, uh, you know, we're going to treat a fungible we're going to look through, we're going to take a look through analysis. It's not without, without problems, but it seems to me that states should try as best as possible to conform to reasonable federal guidelines because then the, the discomfort that we already have with these emerging guidelines is going to be even worse. And that would be kind of number one, to make sure that we try to be conform as much as possible. In addition, I would say, and here's where the, at the, at the subnational level, states have a number of organizations where they get together and they try to come up with, with similar approaches. This is a, a perfect example for the Multi-State Tax Commission and for other organizations that try to have conformity among the states. Given the emerging issues associated with this area, there is nothing more important, I think, than trying to be consistent with this because you don't want either double tax or double non-tax, particularly at the, at, the, at the sales and use tax level with regard to these issues. And again, I'm not saying they're not, a, they're not difficult, but they we should really aim for consistency. Absolutely. Uh, the case for MTC seems strong with an upcoming digital products work group meeting scheduled for this December 7th. Uh, I know that they are front runners uh, on putting together a white paper on sales taxation of digital products and services. But, but one point here, again, it's, it's a vocabulary point. We need to have a good understanding of what digital means. Again, the, the, the definitions of digital crypto. I mean, does digital mean crypto? Does crypto mean digital? And I think that most of us sitting around a table, if you say, is something that digital, is it necessarily on a decentralized ledger chain? I think the answer would be no. But guess what? States often, or at least they have for many purposes, and so has the federal government, said that for our purposes, we're talking about digital assets, but they're really only those that are crypto assets. So I think we need to be, again, just we, our guidance should be consistent insofar as possible, consistent with normal understandings. But I think that's, that's part of the challenge there and part of the reason why states should get together and their best as possible make clear what they mean by digital and crypto because it's not, you know, everybody doesn't understand it. And indeed, some people understand it differently. That's great. 
So other than taxnotes.com, which spaces would you suggest our listeners watch for the latest on next steps and future developments? Well, again, I think that we all can talk about what, what crosses our screen on a, on, on a daily basis. And I think, in addition, I think we, we need to pay attention because we're getting a lot of information, not just from excellent daily reports we get from tax notes, but the information coming out of governmental organizations, and I would you know, also include the OECD. I think anybody who's interested in this, this problem should read that. It's all publicly available. It doesn't cost any money. There's a lot of very interesting guidance on a country by country, and I'm happy to say also say state by state basis. So there's a there's a lot out there, um, and I think anybody who's interested in this, just go on to Google and you'll find a lot. But again, I think global organizations, the European Union has its own guidance. There's a lot of guidance out there. I think everybody would be well advised to look at that. They don't have to incorporate it, obviously, but it, it may be it may be useful. And try not to be an outlier. Try not to be in New Jersey. <laughs> in conclusion, the pace and volume of new information demands discernment, disciplined reading, and consistent consumption, which to my mind benefits from constant curiosity, a spirit in which I think you and I share, Wally. In a space that seeks to answer questions with guidance that begs still more questions, it sounds like we may need to have you back for a part two in the future. I'd, I'd love to come, either uh, digitally or uh, otherwise. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And now, instead of coming attractions, joining me now with an important reminder is Acquisitions and Engagement Editor-in-Chief Paige Jones. Paige, what do you have for us? Thanks, Dave. The submissions period for the Tax Note Student Writing Competition is now open. This annual award recognizes superior student writing on unsettled questions in tax law or policy. Eligible students must be enrolled in an accredited undergraduate or graduate program during the academic year. Visit taxnotes.com students for more details. That's it for this week. You can follow me online at taxstew, that's S-T-E-W, and be sure to follow at taxnotes for all things tax. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for a future episode, you can email us at podcast at taxanalyst.org. And as always, if you like what we're doing here, please leave a rating or review wherever you download this podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode of Tax Notes Talk. Tax Notes Talk is a production of Tax Notes. You can learn more about us by visiting www.taxnotes.com podcast. When major media wants the straight story, they turn to Tax Notes. Thank you for listening and join us again for another edition of Tax Notes Talk. Tax Analyst Inc. does not provide tax advice or tax preparation services. Nothing in the podcast constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice. A full disclaimer is included in the transcript.